I'm Colin Perry, and this is my podcast, Life, Death, and Tarot. Welcome to La Petite Mortisode number seven, Intuition versus Bias. I'm really excited about this episode today, Um, but first there's a couple of things I want to touch on. Number one, tarot by mail. Um, This was kind of a last minute sort of idea, and um, I come from a tradition which values, okay, so this actually came from the Eureka Ranch, which is based here in Cincinnati. And they are an innovo- like an innovation-focused business sort of incubator, and they help businesses do better. Um, I went through one of their training programs several, several years ago, oh, gosh, like 2009. And one of the things that they taught was this idea of fail fast, fail cheap, You know what I mean? So um, they kind of like encourage people like if you have an idea, don't turn it necessarily into something that, you know, you end up developing and iterating for months and months and doing all this research and like da 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 and then you launch it. How about just do it as quickly as possible and see if it works, see if it doesn't. And because when you do something more quickly, you're investing less money cost and time cost into it. So this idea for tarot by mail um, is the direct result of that. And I just put it up there, took a risk, and it's gone really well. I just sent out three more um, this morning. So this tarot by mail thing, it's just 10 bucks. And um, you get in the mail in an envelope a tarot mat. So a lot of tarot people, like they have like a special cloth or like, I don't know, a table. They make it all special and they put the, they read tarot on that. So we made a tarot mat that has resources along the edges and it's a link to the Facebook group where you can go to the Facebook group, share what cards you got. So you lay the mat out and then there's a smaller inner envelope that has three actual tarot cards and you pull the cards out and you decide where you're going to place them on the mat, past, present, or future. Um, You also get a life death tarot sticker and then a life death tarot tarot card. Um, so that's up there. That's ready to go. I think I have 17 left that I can send out if you're interested. Um, and you can send those to yourself or to somebody that you love. Now, I also put up a Facebook group. Um, I've, I've said this before and I hope it doesn't come across like I'm being like, oh my God, I'm so like busy or whatever. But um, I get a lot of messages on the Life Death Tarot Instagram account and on my personal Instagram account, which is at Imperi. And um, Michael suggested, hey, maybe having a Facebook group. And I went for it. So if you go to facebook.com slash groups slash Life Death Tarot, you'll find it. It'll, it'll ask you to join and then somebody will approve you to like get in there. Um, so I'll be popping in there. And I'm thinking of also kind of pre-posting some Mortisode topic ideas in there too, because you guys, a lot of you are very insightful, thoughtful people. And I know that I have a lot that I can learn from you. 
Also, if you do the tarot by mail thing, that's a place where you can get in and post the tarot reading that you sort of gave to yourself and you can share what you thought, what you found, what you interpreted the meaning to be. And then I can pop in and give you some additional uh, pieces of insight or commentary on the meanings of the particular cards that you got. Um, this is also a place where I welcome you if you want to share an experience with death or loss or grief, you want to tell a a bad experience you had navigating a loss, or if you want to share, you know, something meaningful that happened or something that you learned because of something difficult in your life, this is the place to do it. Um, also what are you learning from tarot? What have you learned from it? Put it there. Um, In that vein, ratings and reviews. Last week, I said that I realized that a big factor in people choosing to listen to the Life, Death, and Tarot podcast is that they read for specifics in the reviews. And true to form, (laughs) I got one email and one direct message from two different people in the past week who specifically mentioned like a specific review of the podcast as like that was what made them listen. So I went to pull up that review that was referenced um, to read what inspired this new listener to give Life, Death, Tarot a shot. And holy, what? There were so many new reviews. I couldn't believe it. Um, Every single one of those reviews, they were thoughtfully written, very articulate. And I feel so lucky to know that The people that listen to this podcast are like that. They're these thoughtful humans. Um, So here's the review that literally made somebody else listen. Pseudo Joe says, I like to listen to podcasts that remind me that it's okay to be human. Cole's tarot readings aren't magical in the typical sense of the word. They open your eyes to things in your life that you might just be forgetting to pay attention to. I find a lot of value in her Mortisode episodes because she brings you to topics that you can carry forward to conversations with others. There's a lot of wisdom under that purple mohawk. (laughs) Thank you, Pseudo Joe, so much. You brought somebody else to be a listener of this podcast. That is so cool. And to everyone that has rated and reviewed the podcast in the last week, you positively impacted my day, but you all are also obviously impacting others too. Um, I also read every single one of the reviews out loud to Victor, who produces the podcast, and to Mandy, um, who did all of the artwork for the podcast. And I know it felt really good for them to hear that this thing that they're working on as well is impacting and reaching other people. So thank you. Now, I have a question for you. This regards to how to categorize this podcast. So I'm trying to sort out the best categorization for the Life, Death, Tarot podcast. Some would say it's spirituality and religion. Others would say it's self-help. What do you think? Uh, My goal is more about the podcast getting found um, and like... There's like chart things and sort of like the more reviewed and rated a podcast is 
also the more terms that show up like in the episode descriptions that helps you get found. So my goal is is, is to get the podcast listened to. Um, so I just want to know what you think. Um, as listeners, I would argue that you know best how this should be categorized. You also may not care. That's fine. But hop into that Facebook group and I would love to hear your opinion because I want to make sure that I, I file the podcast in the right place. On the personal front, my personal life, I am tearing down a wall inside of my house. Um, I live in a three-story house, and the second floor is like the office. Um, So I'm tearing down a wall. Um, It was like a guest room, so the wall is totally down. Um, The wall's down, the wiring is done, and now we just have to patch up the drywall, sand it, prime it, paint it, decorate it get stuff up on the walls and I'm already so like inspired and happy in this new workspace and I cannot wait to have it all done. Um, Also on the personal front, I made over 200 cookies this week Um, and 150 of them are for Mandy's wedding on the 22nd of April. Mandy did all of the art for this podcast. Um, So the sugar cookie thing, I started making sugar cookies topped with royal icing. So you like shape the cookie and royal icing it. It's cute. Um, I started this in August of 2017. Um, Going back to the second Mortisode about figuring out your purpose, sugar cookie making for me is definitely a passion, um, but it's not my purpose. It's not my profession, it's not my career, but it's important to have passions in life because they help those other areas of our lives stay balanced. For me, I'm finding that it's really rewarding to have a physical, creative project like this. I love being in my kitchen, putting on my apron. I love listening to podcasts when I bake and when I ice these things. And I love figuring out like the costs and how to be more efficient in the process of baking 13 dozen cookies at once. Um, So I hope in the future that I can actually make and donate cookies to local like nonprofit organizations that I care about like so that they can use those for fundraisers and that kind of thing Um, but this is not my career it's not going to be my career and if you find yourself with a passion project that is unrelated to your career don't withhold it for yourself many times these passions help us improve in all the other areas of our lives and also in ways that you have no way of sort of anticipating how it can impact you and how it can impact other people through you. So let's jump into this week's episode we're going to talk about the difference between bias and gut feelings. Now, a gut feeling, you might also call that intuition. What's the difference? I'm going to share a phrase that I've kept with me as um, words to live by, so to speak. Um, So other words that I try to live by, um, uh, I don't have time for bullshit. That's one. Another one is do what you can with what you have. Um, And another one is make good choices. 
So (laughs) the one I'm going to share with you today, I tried to find like, I just was like, because I've been sort of saying this to myself, sort of, you know, in different situations for years. And I was like, how long has this like been a thing in my life? Um, So I found a blog post that I wrote back in 2012. And I wrote about this a little bit. And here it is. Do not mistake a bias for a gut feeling. Or likewise, do not mistake a gut feeling for bias. A bias. What's a bias? So a bias is prejudice in favor of or against one thing, person, or group compared with another, usually in a way considered to be unfair. Bias means some kind of prejudice is at play and it has a bit of a negative connotation. So with bias... A lot of this is unconscious. You can't see it, smell it, taste it, touch it. You just do it. It's just inside of you and it's operating sort of behind the scenes. But you, as a person, as a human in the world, you express your biases uh, unconsciously, but they do get expressed. We all do it. It's part of being human. Now, intuition. Intuition is the ability to understand something immediately without the need for conscious reasoning. The ability to understand something immediately without the need for conscious reasoning. Intuition, gut feeling, same thing. It's something that happens, a feeling we get, which tells us how to make a particular decision, but we have no conscious reasoning for it. Culturally, We tend to discount the value of someone's gut feeling or their intuition. I know that I have. In in my professional life, when people would say to me, I just don't feel this is right in my gut, it would definitely cue an eye roll from me because someone else's like feelings about something held like no value for me. To me, it was all about like getting it on paper, backing it up somehow. Um, But I was wrong and there's actually research out there to prove it now. So if you're someone who reacts the same way that I did to people who said they felt something wasn't right, um, hear me out. Just, just, just hear me out. Hear, hear, hear this, this theory, this proposal out. So when do bias or intuition show up. One time these guys appear is when you're confronted with some type of conflict. For example, maybe you've just been introduced to someone and you're smiling and shaking hands on the outside. Hi, so nice to meet you. But on the inside, you have a sense of get me the hell away from this person. Also, Maybe you're taking a multiple choice test and you ruled out one of the three choices. And so you're reading the question over and over to try to figure out which of the remaining two choices is right. And you feel like it's B, but then your brain is like, no, I'm thinking it's C. So that's bias and intuition showing up. Experiences in life can result in biases or prejudices. For example, a bee stings you. This is upsetting as a kid or as an adult. It is unpleasant. 
And now, as an adult, you avoid them. So this can form a bias of sorts, um, and biases can morph into fear. This is um, a little difference. So a bias tends to morph into fear, not always. Um, Intuition, gut feelings, usually don't morph into anything other than being a gut feeling or intuition. They don't morph into fear. Education can also give you a bias or a prejudice. Maybe, for example, you grew up in a family where you were taught directly or indirectly that people who do not look like you are lesser than you. This is a term called ethnocentrism, which is from the field of sociology, but we also look at this in thanatology. It's the belief that your own culture is inherently superior to other cultures. So a bias or a prejudice is actually false, and your intuition is actually the thing that is cueing you to what's right. The hard part is being able to differentiate between the two, knowing when what you're sensing is a bias or might actually be intuition. The bias, okay, bias is like a hard rain on your windshield. It's pouring down and you're trying to drive, but you can't see through all of that water. And your intuition, your intuition are the wipers. Um, But bias and prejudice don't let up. It plays mind games with us. So you have to keep the wipers on until you can drive out of that storm. Another way to differentiate between the two, and this is just my theory, is that intuition doesn't morph into other feelings like fear, but bias and prejudice do. There is a teaching from Eastern traditions um, that kind of teaches you in a more subtle way how to, okay, let me just explain this. So there is this analogy, this teaching. Imagine a candle, a single candle, it's lit and there's a nice little flame bouncing along, humming along. The metaphor here is that that flame is you, is your soul. And throughout the life, like throughout the experience of being human, um, gunk, um, also called ama, which means like toxic buildup, is constantly trying to encase the light of your soul out. And part of why we do things like yoga, part of why we do things like meditate, part of why we do things like pursue spiritual study is to help chipping off that gunk buildup. Because if we don't, we end up being totally encased. Our soul, our soul flame is totally encased in gunk and buildup to the point that other people can't see our light and to the point that We're not able to emit our light, the light of who we are. Bias and intuition play into this. Biases like and prejudices are gunk buildup that are helping to diminish our light. Intuition is what beams out of us. So I just wanted to share with you a sort of uh, sort of off the beaten path, probably a uh, explanation for this you might not encounter otherwise. Now, to connect the dots over to the land of thanatology, I argue that when we're in a grief state, a lost state, a bereaved state, most of us tend to hang on to the 
the bias method of decision-making because it's easier. It's a shortcut. It makes things seem, seem black and white. Like it makes us, it kind of tricks us into thinking that the choices we're making are simply as easy as yes, no, because we are, our brains are under stress having to like function in this loss or this grief or this bereaved state. And so this is why I would argue that many people who have sustained a loss, they will say that they did not make very good decisions when they were in the immediacy of active grief. So our resources are spent and we do not have a cultural experience that values developing the sense of intuition. And we all sort of feel a pressure to quickly make decisions when we're navigating a loss or grief or or if we're in a bereaved state. And there's certainly, it doesn't usually feel like everyone around you wants you to sit and give you the time to stew on things to make sure that you're operating off of a sense of your internal knowing versus just using your bias slash prejudice shortcuts. Okay. If somebody introduces themselves to you by saying, hi, I'm Becky and I'm a very intuitive person and I make decisions based on my intuition. What do you think there? I know that definitely in the past I'd be like, well, Becky, We also need to run the numbers. I appreciate that that's your feeling, but we need to run some numbers here. And many times that statement, the statement that that people make where they're like, "I, I make decisions based on my gut feeling or my intuition, that can be associated with people perceiving you as hippy dippy or oblivious or naive. Now, here's the zinger. There's one study in particular came out in 2012 that I want to share with you. I love this outlook on things and it's important to bring a bit of science or research into ideas like these. The study is called Bias and Conflict, A Case for Logical Intuitions. This is by Wim Denoy, who is French and I'm in Kentucky, so I can only chew every single syllable and there's no nuance in anything that comes out of my mouth. But his first name is Wim, W-I-M, and his last name is Denoise, D-E space N-E-Y-S, whatever. And he's from the National Center for Scientific Research at the University of Toulouse. Lord, I'm so sorry that my Kentucky mouth cannot do French. Um, Anyway, this is located in France. Here is, here's sort of the study description. Human reasoning has been characterized as often biased, heuristic. For those of you that may not know, heuristic means enabling a person to discover or learn something for themselves, a hands-on or interactive heuristic approach to learning. Human reasoning has been characterized as often biased, heuristic, and illogical. In this article, I consider recent findings establishing that, despite the widespread bias and logical errors, people at least implicitly detect that their heuristic response conflicts with traditional normative considerations. I propose that this conflict sensitivity calls for the postulation of logical and probabilistic knowledge that is intuitive and that is activated automatically when people engage in a reasoning task. 
I sketch the basic characteristics of these intuitions and point to implications for ongoing debates in the field. Wim continues, Bluntly put, contrary to conventional wisdom, I argue that people are actually intuitive logicians whose intuitive gut feelings are cueing the correct logical response. So he's arguing that intuitive gut feelings are actually cueing the correct logical response. Part of what this study found as well is that when... um. When this intuitive response is triggered, they were actually able to detect a literal physical arousal in the participants. So when we say feeling, um, it's actually a physical thing that this study was able to find and show. Um, Also of note, participants in the study typically indicate that they feel less confident about their answer after solving conflict problems than after solving the control problems. Now, I'm going to share with you the quest- some of the questions that were used in the study. Now, I'm going to give you two choices, choice A and choice B. Get ready. Bill is 34. He is intelligent, punctual, but unimaginative and somewhat lifeless. In school, he was strong in mathematics, but weak in social studies and humanities. Which one of the following statements is most likely? A. Bill plays in a rock band for a hobby. Or B. Bill is an accountant and plays in a rock band for a hobby. Question number two. You also get two choices. Choice A or choice B. Here it is. Bill is 34. He is intelligent, punctual, but unimaginative and somewhat lifeless. In school, he was strong in mathematics, but weak in social studies and humanities. Which one of the following statements is most likely? A. Bill is an accountant. Or B. Bill is an accountant and plays in a rock band for a hobby. So the second question, this is a question where there's no confusion here. If Bill's 34, he's smart, but he's like boring, then he's probably an accountant. This is, this, this is one of the actual questions in the study. Um, and most, you, you know, the answer you pick is A, Bill is an accountant, because this is a statement that is like, that is more likely to be most likely. Now, the conflict version, the first one I read to you, where the, where the choices were A, Bill plays in a rock band for a hobby, or B, Bill is an accountant and plays in a rock band for a hobby. This is the thing that pres- like presents a conflict in how do you pick between those two statements because Bill is basically boring and really good in math. So it's hard for humans to sort of come to a conclusion there. So these were two of the questions that were actually in the study. And when they presented it to the study participants, they actually looked at things like eye tracking um, and a few other physical sort of results. Bias is something that appears everywhere. It, it also becomes part of an inherent culture within organizations. Now, to relate this to you, 
to your own personal individual life, keep in mind that your biases towards whatever it might be make your brain a hostile and unwelcoming environment to whatever you're biased against. So what does tarot have to do with this? Tarot helps us identify the biases and prejudices about ourselves and the situations we find ourselves in. Tarot helps us be less judgy face people. Tarot helps us develop a connection to trusting this sense of intuition or this sense of intuitive logic as Mr. Denoise describes in his study. There are 78 tarot cards, and each is connected to all kinds of universal themes and questions. Tarot was developed out of a melting pot of culture, religion, politics, and economics, and all of that boils down to experience, to lived experience. Tarot is the result of centuries of experience being human. Think about your grandma who has laid down, you know, some truths about life to you. Tarot is like a 600-year-old grandma. That's a good way to think about it. So when we apply the teachings of tarot to ourselves and to people, which by the way, there's no magic in tarot, we end up connecting to our own inner knowing, this intuitive logic. We connect to the experience of being human, which is not that special, certainly not that unique. These themes expressed by tarot cards, they've existed for everyone for centuries. Same shit, different day. Now, I am, I would describe myself as a Buddhist cashew because I was raised Catholic but I'm Jewish and I'm also a practicing Buddhist. I practice with a local Sangha here in the Cincinnati area. And then I'm attached to one in um, New York when I'm there for work. So I have a melting pot viewpoint there on things. Um, And there's this saying from Judaism that I love. And I think it applies to tarot and it applies to this conversation we're having about intuition and bias. Here it is. A good rabbi can show you where to dig and what to dig for, but the digging you must do yourself. Tarot cards are like that rabbi showing you where to dig and what to dig for, but you are the one that has to do the actual work, the actual digging. Finally, how do you develop this gut feeling or this like sense of intuition? How do you find confidence in being able to identify that what you're feeling is not a bias? I've got four suggestions, but I want you to know that there are a lot more ways. Number one, tarot is certainly one way to teach yourself how to listen to yourself to get better at picking out the bias and prejudice from life. So creating familiarity with these cards and the themes attached to them can help you. Number two, writing and journaling. Research has shown that writing thoughts out about our lives and the experiences we encounter, it helps us develop an inner connection to ourselves and an inner like this ability to be able to identify when we are feeling intuition versus a bias or a prejudice. Three, 
Um, I teach several sociology courses, and one of the assignments I have in my class is to write out what you have biases against naturally. This is just based on how you were raised. So in my case, I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school, did all the Catholic things, and, and basically everyone around me was white. Like my school was white. I think we, we had one black kid. Um, and then uh, the church I went to was like super white. And then my family is super white. So I just grew up around basically white people. So if I was being really honest about myself, I'd have to look at the idea that since I basically grew up around white people, I'm likely to have some kind of inbuilt bias against people who are not white. There is an implication in what we're raised around, even if someone doesn't verbalize it, because I can tell you my family never like said people who are not white are lesser. That never happened. But even if someone doesn't verbalize it, that what you are physically around is just through implication is what is considered right or good or at least normal. So this is a good exercise for all of us to think about. What were you raised around? What religions? What ethnicities? Like, did you go to a school that was diverse or not diverse? What might your biases be naturally? The first step is identifying those. And to be honest, I'd argue that's actually most of the work. And once you see, once you see something, you can't unsee it. Once you discover it exists, you can't go back to when it didn't exist And that's a good thing because you then are confronted with the choice in how you want to act. Number four, I would argue that being kind to ourselves is an important way to develop this um, understanding and connection to our own inner sense of intuition. If you are constantly telling yourself how you're dumb or not smart or you're such an idiot it's really hard to trust that because would you trust somebody that you yourself were constantly saying was dumb, stupid, an idiot, or boring? Probably not. So you need to change how you talk to yourself. You live inside your body the rest of your life, period. So you need to learn to have a relationship with yourself that isn't abusive and is functional at the very least. So thank you, everybody. This was episode seven, La Petite Mortisode number seven. Please check out lifedeathtarot.com where we have some cool merchandise. Um, and you can also join the Facebook group. It is facebook.com slash group slash lifedeathtarot. Also, this week, if you get a sec, leave a review in the app store sharing what episode impacted you Because you, in turn, may help somebody else find something that they need. Thank you guys so much for all the ratings and the reviews that you left last week. It means a lot. It inspires me. I'm like so overwhelmed with inspiration from all this stuff over the last 11 years working with death and dying to like 
continue to work to translate it to hopefully what's interesting and engaging content that isn't just like, oh, that's cool to learn about, but that you guys leave each episode feeling like you have ways that you can integrate this and apply it to your own personal lives. Thank you guys. I'm so grateful. And I look forward until next Thursday when our next episode comes out to talking with you in the Facebook group and on Instagram. Thanks, guys. Bye.